everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Fuji Love Podcast. This is the show brought to you by Fuji Love Magazine. For the latest and greatest in all things Fujifilm X series or GFX, head on over to fujilove.com. Joining me right now is Julian Hannaford. Julian is a fantastic uh, Fuji photographer that is based in the UK. Julian, how's it going, man? It's going well. Yeah. Hi. Hi. How are you? We've uh, had some back and forth trying to uh, balance our schedules to chat. So I am uh, I am glad that we finally were able to work this out. And I'll try to make this as easy as possible. It's uh, pretty late on your side. That's okay. Well, we've beaten the virus anyway. It's the main thing. <laughs> <laughs> Knock on wood. <laughs> Um, and not not here. Uh, United yeah. States is uh, having uh, well, it's it, it's it's quite the time. <laughs> Imagine, yeah. it it's is not that great over here, but it's a bit better than it was. Yeah, uh, I'm glad you guys are doing well. Then uh, that that's the, I mean I I've truth be told I've I, I've only been really keeping track of what's been happening here with uh, uh, our summer being so. Uh, crazy. I mean, we're not going to make this the COVID podcast, but I'm 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 glad that you and your family are doing safe, and I I, I just yeah. you know wish everybody listening to be safe, healthy, and uh, keep keeping safe. So, Definitely, yeah. Uh, but we're here to talk about a very important project that you are launching uh, shortly. You have a film debut called Plastic Song, and. Yeah. Tell us a, a little bit about the project and uh, a little bit about, let's first start with uh, when it's being released. Okay. Um, so um, obviously it would, I, I was going to premiere, I, I've got quite a lot of contacts in the production industry. I work probably in the advertising industry in the UK. So uh, I, I would have probably done a, a physical premiere had it been for any other time. Right. Coming back to COVID, of course. Uh, but that can't be. Um, so I decided to to do a, um, a YouTube premiere of it, um, which in a way is better because I think more people get to see it and, and also they can see it afterwards at their leisure as well. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of boring, really. But uh, yeah, it's, so, so uh, the actual premiere is at 8 p.m. Uh, UK time, uh, which I think is BST. We're in British summertime at the moment, um, on the 22nd of uh, July. Awesome. And if you sign up on the... Uh, on the channel, you will be able to uh, go into YouTube and ask to be notified when it premieres. So it'll be uh, wh- whatever time it's premiering, it'll show up correctly on wh- wherever the person is uh, uh, looking at so. it. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It, it, they, they, they have a little feature on there where you can press the button and sort of set a reminder. And it'll give you a reminder sort of a few minutes before or a half an hour before or something. It's great. I mean, YouTube really got it they're out together then I yes I, I I think it's I, I think it's a great feature um mm. a lot of the people that I follow uh use it and uh so far it's worked out well so <laughs> uh but ab- about your film mm. this is uh if I understand correctly this is one of the first uh major productions that you've done using only the Fujifilm X-Series cameras, correct? It is, yeah. I mean, I've been shooting on uh, Fuji now for, I think, about three and a half, four years. I can't remember exactly. Um, I used to be a Canon shooter. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, hands up to Canon, there's absolutely nothing wrong with Canon. They're a great product. And I had all the lenses and, you know, I cut the bodies and that was my go-to camera. Um, but I had a, a Fuji X100, which I was carrying around for, for a couple of years while I was still shooting with the Canon. And I just fell in love with it. It's just such, the X100 is just such a, a beautiful, lovely thing. Which X100 was it? Pictures. It was, I think, it was the original X100, the first one I had. I yeah. got it, and then I, I upgraded to the. I took a, a step a, a, away a, a beyond the the S. They bought the S out, and it was the F then. So I got the F. Was it the F or the V? The F, I think. Okay. Um, so yeah, and it was. It's just a lovely camera. But not only is it a lovely camera, and does it do a great job, but also it kind of it's got that beautiful feel to it as well. So I kind of remember wandering into a Wex. Uh, we have Wex over here. I don't know if you have them in the States. It's like the big camera store. 
and um, I, the fatal day that I picked up an X an XT two, uh, a, a graphite one, yep. stuck a lens on it, and I just fell in love with it. I mean, because it just looked like a camera and it did everything was in the right place and it just you know i I did a lot of research because obviously i didn't want you know being a professional i need to make sure that you know i'm I'm providing the best you know quality uh to my clients Uh, um canon did that so i did i had to do a lot of research and make sure that fuji was the right camera to replace the canon um but it did and it was yes it wasn't it wasn't a full frame uh which the, the 5d was Right, um, but it. To be honest, I mean, it doesn't really matter. You know, it, it's the the quality of it is awesome. I can blow it up to the size of a forty eight sheet poster if I want, and it's just they're just fantastic cameras. But the thing is about them is that technically they're great, but the, the personality that was there, and for me, I mean, I, I'm a quite a tactile photographer. I, yes, I'm. I know my technicalities, but it's about feel for me. And and the the X the X series is just a beautiful feel. It, it look they look like cameras, and they look like that they feel. You know, I, I'm quite protective of my X my X my X cameras. It's it's funny that you mentioned that that tactile feel. It, it's mm. I just recently purchased um, a Canon A1 film camera. All right, yeah, and yeah. J- just because I had that itch to kind of play with film. Um, yeah, I, and, and so what I was originally going to do is use my Mamiya, but I dropped yeah. it and broke it. Yeah. That's a uh, long story short. I goofed, um, but yeah. it was salvageable where I was able to make a one for one trade in with, uh, the, the camera company that I was at and yeah. And surprisingly that, that heft, that. Uh, that weight, that tactile feel reminded me so much about how I felt about using the XT, uh, the XT series and the uh, X100. Uh, so I, I completely hear you that they got that, that tangibility down correctly. And yeah. uh, again, I mean, your, your talk about going from Canon to Fuji uh, practically mirrors mine. Um, that, that's mm-hmm. exactly how, how I went from point A to point B, but your point A to point B, especially in video production, um, what what about the Fuji system really spoke to you creatively to make this uh, this project? And we'll talk about the project in a minute. Well, I think it was. I mean, obviously, what, what prompted me to to take it into film was I I I'd, I'd kind of kept very pure as a stills photographer for ten years. I hadn't really. I, I knew I could probably have shot video on the Canon, but I never did because I did. I did. I wanted to to keep focused on film on stills, yeah, um, and not get distracted because I think there's you know to try and try, sometimes trying to do two things is is not as great as as being really good at one thing, you know, right? Um, and also, I felt I had a lot to learn in terms of because I'm a portrait photographer, and that's a very specific thing. Do you know what I mean? I I just shoot people. I shoot people in locations, and I shoot them with you know surrounded by ideas, but. It's very much about people, you know. Right. So was, um, but um, the thing for me was that um, I, I knew that that Fuji, that the Fuji camera that I had did really good video. It was one of the reasons I kind of bought it because I thought if I do get into that, I know it can shoot 4K and it can shoot it really well. Um, so that was one of the decisions that I took to kind of skew the fuji way but i didn't use that for for quite a while mm-hmm. but i think it was about about two years ago i started to think you know that there are things i want to say and, and doc I, I i'm really into documentaries i i mean my, my default thing on a, on a kind of like an evening when i'm on my own and my you know my wife isn't making me watch reality tv programs <laughs> <laughs> she's not around i hope um is, you know, <laughs> I, 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 it, I will find a really good interesting well made documentary to watch that's my default now really. yes so, and i still watch feature films i love feature films but you know actually documentaries interest me more because i i'm, I'm interested in the world I'm, inter- I'm interested in what's going on and what people's vision you know um, perception of it is so i knew i kind of wanted to go down the, doc- the documentary route and actually make a documentary and um and this actually does segue nicely into into the film that i've just made is 
because uh, I'm also very into art. I mean, the other thing that I do a lot is go to galleries. I mean, I, I've always done that. That's where I keep my kind of visual spirit going is by looking at other artists and fine artists' work. And I miss going to galleries. The ideas. Yeah, God, yes, yeah, so much, man. That would be so, such a, a great thing to go back to. Um, but so th- th- those two things kind of melded together. And I was at a, an art fair. Uh, about three years ago, and I met um, Steve McPherson, who is the the, um, the subject of this film. Yep. Um, at a, at a um, he was displaying at a, an art fair, and um, I just took one of a look at his work, and I thought, oh my god, this is extraordinary. I mean, I it resonated with me so much because what he does is he picks up. He spent the last twenty five years of his artistic career kind of just picking up little bits of plastic and things made of plastic on the beaches in and around where he lives in Kent, Margate, Kent on the coast. Yeah. Um, and collecting them, sourcing them, sifting them, cleaning them, uh, cataloging them. And it sounds very boring, but actually when you see the, what he creates out of these things, they are just extraordinary. Um, because they're, they're kind of like, he creates these, these kind of, I can only describe them as, as sort of tessellated sculptures. They're flat, but you can hang them on the wall. Yep. But they're kind of like, they're, they're, he takes these plastic pieces of plastic and, and kind of lovingly creates these beautiful tessellations with them. And he, he usually, there's a colour theme to them, you know what I mean? That, that they might be a particular monochrome or he uses various colours in various things to get across an idea. Yeah, there's um, various and, shapes too. And, he really can play with the idea of using the whatever he picked up uh, yeah. and, and make yeah. some great leading lines when there are no lines yeah. present. So that's that, right. So ostensibly, <clears throat> I mean, just aesthetically, they are beautiful things to look at. They're very zen, actually. Yes, they're kind of like yeah, yeah, that. The, there are the, the spaces between the things are, are as important as the things, and he lovingly does this. It's, it's they're beautiful to look at, but. The other dimension of them is that they he it says a massive amount about our society and our, our culture now, where everything is so disposable. Um, and it makes that point, it doesn't make it, it's not a heavy sell. And this is what I loved about it, because obviously I've seen all the things about, you know, plastics in the ocean stuff, which is terrible. But there, there was something about what Steve was doing, which was not preachy at all. It was just basically saying, this is what it is, mm-hmm. okay? You can take out of this this whatever you want, but this is the way it is. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Um, and that's what appealed to me. And I thought, I've got to make a film about this. I, I really have got to get inside what he's doing and and show it to the world in a way that, again, like what he does, isn't sort of like some preachy, bloody documentary about, you know, why we should give up plastic use and, and <clears> like that. But it's, it's, it's just, it, present, it just presents to the world what he does and where he finds his stuff. And it just, it's just a little story and it's non-verbal as well. I, I, I did think about sort of giving it, you know, interviewing him, giving it a, a, a dialogue and all that kind of stuff, but actually his work speaks for itself. And that's the interesting so, part about it because you gave me uh early sneak peek uh, at it. Yes. And it, it, it's, it's brilliant that you mentioned uh, you, you could take it any way you want because yeah. the way that you're filming is mm. uh, first of all very cinematic. Uh, the, your yeah. your style of shooting and, and the way you're doing your cinematography is just. I would say the way uh, the artist is so meticulous in, in creating the art pieces. You are the same. Uh, in, in doing your cinematography, and it matches really nicely together. Um, and, and so, you feel you could take it as a message of you know, hey, th- there's a ton of plastic in the world, and here's uh, a message to the world that you know we we have plastic everywhere. Or you could take it as a straight up documentary about here's a guy who's taking plastic and making artwork out of it. That's there's right, yeah. there's no dialogue to direct you. It is yeah. all within your mind's eye, and yeah. either works. Yes, 
Yeah, I, th- I think that's true. I think, it, uh, and I think sometimes, I mean, I'm uh, coming back to what you're saying about the the, cinem- the, the cinematography, the, the the filmic look of them. Um, that comes from two things. I'm I'm, I'm quite a filmic uh, or cinematic um, stills photographer. Yes, I, I, I come from an ideas perspective. Um, I mean, my I, I think my, my 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 body of work kind of holds. Up. I always put people in situations. Usually, I mean, I do do straightforward, you know, studio photography, but it's usually dropped onto a background, and do you know what I mean? It's like it tells a story. It's it's what I call narrative. Yes, uh, photography. And anybody who um, wants to check it out, go to julianhenford.com and check out some of his uh, portraits because they are fun. <laughs> they are not your uh, usual uh, portraitures. Yeah. And I think that that stems from the fact that I started out as a creative in advertising, so it was all by ideas. I mean, yeah, you know, my, my my take on it wasn't just. I mean, I've even though I I, I you know I, I I do a you know use the, the the kind of technical skills that I've grown over the years. What is most important to me is um, the idea that comes across through the image, and that comes through the film as well. I think it's a, that's why my stuff looks cinematic. I, I, again, my great love of film, uh, um, cinema, you know, like feature films, Stanley Kubrick, things like that, um, that, that influences my, my the, the way I, I look at these things very much. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the stuff is locked off, and it's not because I don't like camera movement. It's just sometimes... I like to just confront people and say, look at this, look at what is going on in this frame, you know, study it and hold on it for a while. There are some quite long takes in that because I want people to explore what I'm seeing. You know, I want them to explore, you know, the the composition and where these things are, what the things that are going on in that screen. And, you know, if if I move the camera too much, it's going to, it takes away from that. It's that there is a a formality to it. It it is because I'm still a photographer think that that comes across but um yeah i mean for 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 steve stuff it it works really really well because there is that in in his actual formal compositions you know i mean some of the things i did was just literally hold on those pictures and just very very uh slowly move in on them yes so you can still take it all in there's some movement there but it's it, it it concentrates you into the image or out of the image whichever way we go you know um, and that was quite important to me. Um, but the, the Fuji, I mean, coming on to, to, to the reason that Fuji's pretty good on that, I, I'm, I'm, I'm quite a purist in terms of, I, I've got a, my, my lens range for the, the X-T3 is, um, I have a 16 to 55, which stays on the camera quite a lot, you know, yeah. for, for general purpose photography. Um, but then when I get more specific and want to shoot something, you know, a bit better, you know, a, a bit better. I, I then move on to primes and I usually, I've got a 23, 1.4, um, a 35, 1.4. And my go-to for, um, you know, most uh, portraiture actually is the, the 56, 1.2. Which is which a great is, lens. Yes. <clears throat> oh my God. It's just beautiful. Yeah, I, that was the one thing was, <laughs> with Ca- Canon do the 85, 1.2, which is the, the equivalent actually yeah. of, of that lens uh, and you do get a slightly um more blown out bouquet but there's not a lot in it really to be perfectly honest with you and it's like and i'm i'm a, a bugger for using it you know i will open that lens right the way up to, to 1.2 um which of course actually when you're shooting film on it um you need to use um uh, a variable nd yes um, for also, <laughs> because you can't get that stock uh, and a lot of your stuff is shot in the uh, yeah. middle of the daytime. So, yeah, variable yeah. ND. So, very variable ND on that camera. Actually, to be honest, a lot of the beach stuff on there, there's a close because I, I shot that on a long lens. That was on the um, uh, the 50 to 140, and I had a, a, two, a, point, a two times converter on it as well. Um, it was that kit. Um, and so, because obviously it was, so it, it naturally gives it a compression. It naturally, I used it wide open. Oh, right on. Uh, which I think was was on 2.8 or something, and with a, an ND filter on it, um, just because it gives that really creamy look to it. And I, I just love that. that. That's what makes film for me, is is that is the shallow depth of field. It's like that's what used to piss me off when I was in directing <laughs> commercials years ago on 35mm film, was the way that video looked, was because you couldn't really get those stops on video. 
at that time. It just wasn't possible. So all video looked very crisp all the way, you know, whether you wanted it or not. Whereas, like, you know, if you want to kind of create dramatic emphasis for something, you want to kind of focus on something and blow everything else out. So it's like, you know, um, you frame something against a completely out of focus thing. And, and yeah, I mean, the Fuji does like great, really, really good. So you, you use, uh, sounds like you use the X-T3 for most of your uh, film production. Uh, and the, the lens, yeah. did you use any of the cinematic lenses or was it just strictly the regular primes? No, um, and, and the reason for that is that they are so bloody expensive. That is true. <laughs> they are that. Honest. They are horrendous. I would love, I would love to try that. I mean, I think it's, I mean, that's, that's going to be a different experience moving on to those lenses because obviously that the, the focal, the the, 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 the pull focus on it is very much shorter. So you can do proper pull focuses and things like that. It's a lot more, um, it's a lot more makes a lot more sense to use those lenses for for proper film productions um but no i haven't you know I mean, I'd, I'd probably hire them if i if i had to because they are so horrendously expensive yeah They're beautiful i mean they are beautiful things i would love to try one I, that's something that yeah, i'd have to rent yeah, yeah. I, th- I think i might i might i might just just you know the next project i do would just sort of like take take a couple of days rental <laughs> and just try it to see what they're made of because they are i mean fuji have got a reputation for for great i mean you know great uh cinematic lenses anyway so yeah it's worth a try and and again i i'm i am really struck by just the sheer color um of of your of the cinematic video footage uh i mean it was just brilliant it was it was really really striking and did you use any of the film simulations or how how did you do the post-production work i i kept it fairly i kept it fairly flat i mean i think i can't remember i think it was shot in eterna i think um but it was um uh, I, what I didn't do at that stage, I hadn't really kind of got into um, shooting F-Log. Which yeah. Obviously, any, anything I do from now on, we shot F-Log. Um, and also, I didn't shoot in 4K. I actually shot, shot it in HD uh, mm-hmm. because I just literally couldn't I couldn't bring myself to – I mean, you know, my lap, my poor old laptop would have just died. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I shot it in, um, in, in 1080p, um, 24 frames, because I wanted it to kind of like yeah, be more filming. Yes. Um, but it was, um, yeah, no, I, I think anything I shot, I shoot now, I will definitely go the F-log room and just keep it completely flat for grading afterwards. Um, I didn't do that with this. I actually sort of, but I shot it fairly, you know, fairly flat uh, because obviously coming from a commercials background, I might, you know, I, I always knew that I was going to either grade it myself or get it graded by a colorist. Yes. Um, and I had a, yeah, the, I mean, I had I had a, an idea of what I wanted to do first. The reference, my reference for the beach shot, the people on the beach, was um, I wanted to look like the work of um, what's his bloody name? Oh, Martin Parr. Okay, Martin Martin Parr. He's a, a British um, documentary photographer, been around a long, long time. Uh, but I say he's an art, he's artist documentary photographer. He he he's done loads of things about sort of you know, British um, social life on beaches and things like that. And he's he always shoots in a very high-voltage sort of contrasty colour thing. Um, yeah. Just to make it almost look hyper-real. Um, check out his work, actually. You guys, I, mean, I, I think your, your audience would probably love to see Martin's work. Martin Parr, his name is. Um, I say he's been around for donkey's years, Martin. <laughs> loads of awards and stuff. But that was the kind of reference I was trying to bring to that. So it almost looked kind of hyper-real. Because I was trying to juxtapose what Steve was doing quietly of a morning on the beach, picking up this stuff, with the kind of like the the, the devil may care um, attitude of, of of people just on holiday, you know, who were probably just throwing things on the beach and littering and leaving their rubbish around, which they do. And I wanted that to be kind of almost like hyper real, so it was like you know it kind of showed that juxtaposition. So that's where that came from. Uh, but that was done by my, my, I worked with a great colorist called. Uh, Felipe Zuls, who works for an editing company in London, um, who very kindly uh, helped me color it, and uh, he was great. He was I, I, the, the, it was just brilliant. It didn't 
look like Eterna to me. Um, but it, like, no, ju- just I think it's he's done quite a bit of work to bring out. Yeah, he's he's done a lot on it to to bring out that um, the, the coloration that it has. But then again, if you look at my stills, I mean, I've got you know, I, I kind of go that route, particularly on some of the kind of like the, the more straightforward kind of outdoor headshots that I do. Uh, um, I've got a bit of a thing I've developed to sort of look look for, you know, kind of uh, corporate portraits outdoors in central London, shot on the the fifty five the fifty six one point two yeah. wide open, um, and then sort of like I've got a, a little special kind of personal recipe for for kind of photoshopping them in, so they, they they've got a, a real sort of contrasty, interesting look to them. You know, which is kind of similar to how we what we achieved on the film, actually. So let's get into your photography work for a minute. I mean, yeah. everybody subscribe to uh, to Julian's YouTube channel. Just I, I would imagine just a simple search for Julian Hanford will bring everybody to um, to to your to page. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it will definitely. Yeah. And there'll also be a link in the show notes for everybody to to go check it out. Subscribe to the premiere. And once it goes live, you'll be able to see it. If you can't see it live, then you'll have the direct link to to watch it at your leisure. So um, Plastic Song, awesome. And uh, I, I highly recommend everybody check it out. And so your regular photography, your portrait work is... I love the quirky nature to it. It is uh, something that is just just catches your attention. Um, you you mentioned that you you did commercial work, but then you left. Why 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 did you leave? Well, I started as I say, I started making commercial uh, you know commercials with a full film crew and everything as director. Yeah, producer actually. I was I, I, the reason I did that was I was working client side. Um, so it was, I was using other direct, I was bringing other directors in to, to direct these, the commercials that I was writing. I wasn't really kind of getting out of it, out of them, what I wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, so I started directing myself. And of course, some of the trouble is with film direction is, <laughs> um, you kind of catch the bug. Um, and I did big time. I, so that's kind of why I left that, that position because I wanted to direct full time. Um, but I think the, the the point was that I, I was a I was a, a very highly paid creative director in a client company. Um, I had pretty much the, the the run of things. I could do pretty much whatever I wanted because they trusted me. Um, when I actually left there to then become a director for hire back in London again, um, what I found was that that you know I was a lot farther down the pecking order. So. Yeah, it was like it was, the frustration was that I couldn't do what I wanted to do, and, and I couldn't do what I thought I could do because it was constantly being knocked back by other parties. So I got bored. I got I got very quickly sort of disillusioned with it, and went off and did some entrepreneurial things. I was trying to get a DVD production company off the ground, um, producing factual DVDs, um, which is a whole other story, and that went horribly wrong business wise um, because I wasn't very good at business <laughs> at that time. Uh, but that I, I, after a couple of years of licking my wounds from that, I kind of just sat back and thought, I've got to get back to actually creating stuff. And I didn't want to go back into advertising. I didn't really want to go back into commercials production. So photography was something that I knew I could completely immerse myself in and control myself. Do you know what I mean? Yes. As one person. And that appealed much more to me. And I wanted to tell some stories. That was the thing. I mean, I, when I came, I, I, we were living outside London. This is about 12 years ago now. We were living outside London. I came back to London because I knew that to get to actually, you know, recreate a, a whole new career in photography, I'd have to work out of London. And uh, when I got here, I thought, well, what can I do to actually, you know, hit the ground running and make a bit of an impression? I get you get some contacts back that I, I need. And so I, I looked at the the advertising industry, which I knew really well. I knew a lot of people in there, and I had a lot of you know people that I looked at and respected as creatives who were great award winners. And I thought, well, nobody's ever really sort of done anything interesting in documenting those people, and not just documenting, just taking pictures of them, but actually sort of taking idea-based pictures, conceptual pictures of them. So um, I started ringing them up, like great creative directors that I'd respected when I was in advertising. And, yeah. Um, 
And the first one was a guy called Dave Trot, who, I, if if you know anything about London advertising, is an absolute legend. He's like George Lois is in the states. Do you know what I mean? He's like yeah, a, an advertising icon. And I said, um, Dave, you don't know me. Um, I'm just a photographer, but I'd really, really like to take your picture uh, and uh, do something interesting with it. Are you up for it? He said, yeah, come and have a cup of coffee. So that's where it started. <laughs> and I basically went out a cup of coffee with him. We discussed, you know, bounced a few ideas around. Um, he came up with the, the idea of using a very small spanner tucked into the t- his top pocket. And I went away and I thought, I can do better than that. So I got him the biggest spanner that you have ever seen. It's like a tractor spanner. It's like a, a long. Yeah. You could hardly lift it. I had to put it on a lighting stand for it because he couldn't actually lift it. But that set the tone for the type of picture that it was going to be because I wanted it this kind of like, you know, very bold, almost Lenny Riefenstahl constructivist, heroic shot. And it was shot in his office, but I basically then uh, manipulated a, a kind of cloud sky with the, the sun coming over his shoulder. And I lit it so that I could do that, you know, and it looked right in the camera. And he absolutely loved it. And I loved it too. And I was really, really pleased. And it kind of set the tone for a whole series of these photographs, which I then started to do. I'd see, and of course, I mean, the thing is about when you start these things is that after you've done a few and they've got out there and people have seen them, when you ring people up, they they say, "Oh yeah, I, I I've heard, I've seen that. I've you know I, I know about that." So it became easier and easier to do. So I ended up doing about fifty of them, I think, um, the, the kind of great creative heroes of British advertising. Yeah, and out of that got various other work and commissions and editorial work out of that. So it was um, it was pretty cool, and it set the tone for me. It was but it, it set my stall. I think that's really important for, for a photographer is to, I mean, I haven't got a set particular set style because I'm an art director. I tend to, you know, the style follows the idea from my point of view. Yeah, and it's and always actually, going to be different from uh, the person yeah, that you, you're, you're photographing. Which is actually the kiss of death, of course, from, from getting an agent and stuff like that because agents like all your photographs to look like they're, you know, the same. Yeah, they they want <laughs> not, consistency. Not the same, but, you know, they, they like they like a, con- a consistent style they can sell to an agency, and I didn't really have that because I didn't really want to go that route. That was the thing. I mean, it was a, a, a conscious decision to to keep everything. It was a challenge to me to find a a particular style that I could develop for a particular portrait. Do you see what I mean? Yep. So it was like, so they all look actually very varied. I mean, you look at myself, it looks, it looks like there's about 45 different photographers that were taken. That, that so, but, that, that, but the cohesive thing to me is that, that they're all ideas-based. That's the thing. That's what holds it together for me. Yeah. But from a commercial, you know, selling me to, you know, in for an advertising campaign. So that's the, the rule chaps out there. You know, anybody who's listening who wants to cut it in the, the, the world of advertising, as an advertising photographer, don't do what I did. (laughs) (laughs) Just go, just develop a very, very sort of like, you know, go the Platon route of all your portraits looking a particular way. And then you'll get, you will get lots of advertising. Well, you won't get lots of advertising work now because it's not around, but um, what little advertising work there is, you will get that. But I never wanted to go that route. And it's been more difficult financially for, for that point of view, but my God, re- reward, you know, personal reward wise. I mean, it's, it's taught me a massive amount. I, I've learned so much on every shoot I've ever attempted because of that. Yes. You know I mean? by, by trying something new every time. Right on. And it's, I, I, I mean, you could always say that, you know, your consistency is, I'm always variable. It's, uh, you know, yeah. everything is different. That's the yeah. consistent. Yeah, it's just it's just the way that the industry works. I think this is one of the things you do realize when you work in the kind of particularly that this front end of the commercial advertising thing is that is that you know it's you you um, it tends to be because there's so many photographers out there. You've got to be sort of particularly famous for one particular style. Now the trouble, and also the trouble is with that, of course, is once you become locked into that style, then yeah, you might be popular for a couple of years. Because some art director will say, "Yeah, I want to use that style for that campaign," um, and you might get, you might win shitloads of awards for it and get it all over the press and stuff. But suddenly, actually, then it, that that style, because it's been so used for that one thing, it, it suddenly it becomes an acre. Problem, yeah. You then you you're then not used for anything else, right? And it's 
it's it's one of those real frustrations. I think. I mean, the the, the landscape of, of commercial photography has changed immensely over the last twenty years. I mean, there's no comparison like. And what's dropped out really the, the the thing I think is the greatest shame is that 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 press and magazine advertising particularly has, has nosedived. And that was the the, the showcase really for, for so many great photographers' work. But uh, I think the, the, what happened now is it allowed a, a lot of the, the the monoculture has fallen apart, but yeah. it, it has allowed us to dictate how we want to be perceived. Uh, for yeah. example, uh, you, you said, uh, which I think is probably the most striking thing uh, as, as far as career advice, you, you had an idea and uh, you reached out to, uh, to Dave Trott and yeah. just asked him like, Hey, I have yeah. an idea. I, yeah. I'm a complete stranger. Just yeah. calling out of the blue. The, the the concept of hey just ask yeah, is absolutely. such a strong thing and uh, yeah. um, I, I mean just a few weeks ago uh, I not a few weeks ago at this point it, it, it was last <laughs> month um, just as a little bit of attention uh, I got to uh, just do so many cool uh, interviews uh, from. Uh, People that I admire, uh, Pete Souza, for example, uh, legendary photojournalist. Yeah, and it was just one of those whims where it's like, you know what? It doesn't hurt to ask. And um, and I mean, a lot of people didn't like it because it was kind of a little political. But it was a <laughs> weird time. Uh, like, like we, I mean, we're living in quite the times. But the the point I'm yeah. trying to emphasize is uh, just. Taking that first step, it, it goes such a long way to, yeah. uh, to you know, and, and keep making those steps. And all of a sudden, mm. you have a career. And uh, yeah. uh, so I, I – yes, it, it is really scary times, but it's also uh, – we also live in a time where we get to really dictate how we're going to be perceived and – what we yeah. want to do. Um, I, I agree. I, I, I just to pick up on, on your point there. I mean that you're absolutely you've absolutely nailed it. There is it, it. It is a case. Photographers have to be doers. Yes, if you're going to be a great photographer. You have to get out there and do shit. You know. I mean, you just literally have to pick it. Pick up. You know. Find find just an just take an idea and run with it. And whatever it takes to actually get it done, do it. Yeah, yes, I mean nobody else can can do it for you. You know, you're the only person with a camera in your hands. You know, so whatever, it, and it can be anything. That, that, it, that there's so many different forms uh, of photography. That's the beauty of it. Do you know what I mean? I, I've got yeah. you know um, photographer colleagues and friends who, I mean, I've got a, a, a lady friend photographer who is a fantastic still life photographer. So she does food for the Sunday Times magazines and all that kind of stuff. And it's like. And her her approach to photography is so different to mine, um, but we have some really interesting conversations about it because, like you know, she'll spend like a day intricately sort of positioning and lighting, um, uh, you know, a, a carrot. Yes, <laughs> and, and, and her shot of it is extraordinary. I just look at how the hell did you do that? You know, but that's her thing, and it's like. But that's that's one side of it, and then you've got like you know reportage photographers, and one of the greatest photographers that I mean I think probably ever influenced me, uh, although I, I don't take any shots anything like him. But you know I mean is Don McCullum, um, yes, who the, the the legendary war photographer, um, and Don was just a, you know a northern guy who put himself in the position where he get those shots because. He, he felt he needed to do it um and it was you know i'm not recommending that everybody does that because like he i mean he, he got shot a couple of times um and almost died but and it's also also uh, psychologically affected him as well but but th then again you know i mean the, he's given the world some images that actually i mean i don't know if you've been to a don mccullin exhibition they have one in london i think it was about 18 months ago uh, which might have reached the states 
his stuff is you just is just jaw droppingly awesome. Yes, it's, you know, it's just it's just he 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 has such a respect for the people that he, he photographs um, that it comes out in 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 the the actual photographic print somehow. You know, it's uh, amazing that, work. That's amazing. When it when it's reached when it reaches that level, I'm not worthy of that at all. I mean, it's like you know, what do I do? I just take you know pictures of 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 yeah. You know, I, I don't you know I don't you know I, the the other photographer that comes to mind who who leave, leaves me emotionally sort of charged is uh, Sebastio Salgado. I've um, never heard yeah. of him. Um, he's um, he's uh, he started out as a documentary photographer, um, but moved into kind of documentary in nature. He shoots in black and white, and he's um, check him out actually. So, so, so Sebastião Salgado, he's Brazilian, um, but he is just he's just had a worldwide sort of exhibition traveling the world called Genesis. He had a book, big coffee table book uh, called Genesis, which is full of his black and whites of uh, the wilder places of, of the earth, and he has got the most amazing eye. But he's also got a soul that that comes out in his pictures, which is you know, I look at her, I go, my God, you know, what have I been doing the last 12 years? <laughs> but I mean, yes, that, that is, you, you could look at, you know, the greats, but yeah. Uh, also it, it's very important to remember that, you know, you, you need to make your own uh, mark on the world one step oh, at yeah, a yeah. time too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, but I mean, it's like I, th- I think you know. That, I mean, we 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 have to you know. I, I think anybody you know, however talented that they they are, and however much time they dedicate to that, we all stand on the shoulders of giants. I mean, it's like you know, all all, all the influences that come out of my work have come from things that I've looked at and thought, oh my god, that resonates right, resonates with me. Yes, so it comes out through my work. And I'm sure. I mean, if you our Salgado, where his influences came from, he would have a number of photographers. He said, well, I've looked at his work and that's where I thought I wanted to be. We, we all kind of go on that trajectory, but, but then we take it farther. And that's kind of um, the, hu- the way that humans work. I mean, human creatives, we grow things from, from you know, that, that have, have, you know, we take it that stage farther. Yes. We, we... Which is a good thing. Yeah, and that that is a brilliant way to to see it. it it's um, we take our the things that influence us, and, and uh, we first start trying to mimic it, and then we yeah. grow from it, and, and then new ideas are made, and you know now new technologies are born, and, and yeah. the way we capture things is just so different, and. Mm. I mean, yeah, it's it's absolutely uh, true, and you know, let's tie it back to your work. Uh, your your uniqueness in doing portraiture is uh, is a lot of fun. You capture everybody in, in mm-hmm. such uh, like like uh, anybody could take a portrait and do some crazy Photoshop to it, but yeah. you're you have a style that really complements the person's personality that you're photographing. And, and you see that the, the the post-production is merely there to enhance the the person rather than to overwhelm the, the, the viewer. Yeah, absolutely. I think the, 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 that comes from the way that, the, my, my kind of practice of, of how to get to those images and basically that started off through this that particular um uh uh project that i was talking to you about and the way i started developing it was that i always sit down with somebody and have lunch or a cup of coffee or yeah. you know and spend time with them and we just talk and we just talk and the, the beauty of doing it with advertising people was that i i already talked their language so we could talk about you know, creative advertising campaigns that that were, were that were, you know, that we both liked, and you know what we thought about creativity and all that kind of stuff. And from that, uh, just I, uh, I, I hope you don't mind. My my dog is being a little no, uh, frisky. <laughs> what sort of dog is it? Yeah, Australian Shepherd. He he's uh, really young. He's uh, right now oh. just uh, relaxing, and now he wants attention. So I apologize yeah. if that came through in the yeah, audio. That's fine. 
So um, yeah, so I mean, so basically, sitting down with them and talking—that—that's where I get the germ of the idea. I mean, at some stage, they will say something that resonates with me as an idea. What I will do then is, once I've, you know, once we've finished, I'll, I'll probably go home, think about it for a few days, make some sketches. I always start with a sketch. That's the other thing that I do that probably a lot of photographers probably don't. I actually sort of before I even think about the actual camera, I'll actually start sketching like an art director. Yeah. And come with visual ideas. And once I've come up with something that I, th- I feel, you know, is strong enough, I'll actually sort of go back to them and sort of like say, this is what I want to do. Do you buy into this? Uh, and 98% of the time they do, actually. And some might want to, you know, they're, they're uncomfortable with it, but usually they're, they're happy with it. And um, and so that's where it starts. And then what I do is basically plan the shoot to achieve that. So, um, and I tend to work... Um, you know, again, because I, I kind of like to, I'm a bit of a control freak. <laughs> so, <laughs> a um, photographer? No. Uh, yeah, no, no, <laughs> the thought. I mean, but I, I tend to sort of like, you know, I mean, there's one uh, image that comes to mind of mine where, where it was, um, it was a famous creative director who um, we talked about the, the idea that we came up from. He like he loves big ideas in TV ads. That's it. All his TV ads are like big ideas. So um, basically, what I did was uh, I turned him into King Kong, hanging off <laughs> the um, hanging off the the gherkin in London. Obviously, because it wasn't New York, it had to be London because that's where it was based. So we, I, I I I chose the gherkin. You know, the gherkin in the city. It's that weird shaped sort of yes um, uh, modern building. And I shot it off the tower uh, from from a, a, a skyscraper adjacent to it, so I could get. I actually went there and actually shot the back background plate for it um because i wanted to get the perspective right and then shot him in the studio you know in, in exactly the right position so that it looked like he was really there hanging off this building and also we bought some uh, um some really uh, like a, a really detailed um biplane you mm-hmm. know, model model biplane which then you know uh with, with the planes flying around his head and he grabbed one of them like king kong does in the film yeah and and it's the beauty and the fun of that we had a such a bloody laugh that day of doing this you know and it's um and that comes out in the the actual finished thing you've got to have fun doing these things you know absolutely <laughs> laugh to do these things and we played around and we sort of and we just recreated king kong and i just you know then the the beauty once you've got all those elements, like what I my next love is going into Photoshop and really milking that idea for all it's worth. So we just did it all in black, very contrasty black and white, and and um, I say we, it was me. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, literally sort of like you know balancing the background plate so that it it matches exactly. Um, and giving it some grunge, you know, it looked like sort of slightly nineteen thirties film, and that's that that to me is just that's what I love to do. It's like, it's like kind of recreating a reality that never really existed. You know? Yeah. Very cool. Well, Julian, I, you know, I'd love to keep uh, chatting, uh, but you know, it is, it's probably pretty late on your side of the world. Um, I think it's it's midnight now, I think. Right. (laughs) That's right. But we'll we definitely have to meet up again to to talk shop. Yeah. Uh, and why don't you tell the world uh, where they could find the world premiere of your video again, and where they could find oh. you on the web? Okay, so um, if you go to my YouTube channel, which is Julian Hanford, um, there's not a lot else on it actually. To be honest, I haven't really done much, put much else on that channel. But there, what you will find there is the trailer for the for the film, and also the premiere page which obviously you can't get access to until um, 8 p.m. British summertime for all those people who uh, know <laughs> the vagaries of, of British time. Um, 8, p- 8 p.m. UK time, anyway, um, on the 22nd of July. Um, and, you know, I, I'm afraid there won't be free wine <laughs> <laughs> as, as they would have been in a real premiere. But, hey, you know, at least you can choose your own wine. So that's, that's okay. Bring your own beer, um, and yeah, he's coming out. Look, and, and also, I, I I love to for people to tell me what they think of these things. So if if if, if listeners come along and have a look at the film, leave me some comments um, and tell me what you think of it because I'd really like to know. Excellent, it was a pleasure having you on the show. Uh, Thank you. Always great to talk shop uh, on, on gear and style. 
Uh, I'll definitely have you back on to talk more about uh, future projects because this is not just the uh, one and done. You you have no, no, more in the absolutely. works. Yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, I've I've actually got. A, a, I just will tell you this. I've actually my, my next project will probably be a a series on photography actually and not teaching photography i just want to interview some great photographers um it's going to be called 10 by 8 and it's about um photographers uh, choosing five images that they love that, that influence them and five images of theirs that they feel that shows the world what they can do and it's going to be a sort of like just chat a chat show that's um, awesome format on on youtube Right on. That's that's pretty cool. I'll subscribe to that. <laughs> so everybody, check out his work. Julian, always a pleasure. We'll have you back Thanks on next time to talk. Thanks, Mark. Take care, yeah? Keep, keep safe. You too. <laughs> Take care. Bye-bye. And boom. We're good. Excellent. So is that okay for you? That is perfect. That That is excellent. I um, Hang on for a second. All right. Can you still hear me? I can, yeah. yeah. All right, good, good, good. I didn't get disconnected. I, I want to make sure that everything processed fine. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we're good on this end. Uh, I am going to uh, now just log off for a few. I want to thank Julian one more time for joining us on the show. His new venture into documentary work is really nice. His cinematography is incredible, and I absolutely cannot wait to see what's next in store for him. Uh, everybody check out his movie premiere and definitely leave him a comment. It's uh, it's great work, great energy, and I think you'll love it. That's all for this week. Again, this show is brought to you and made possible by Fuji Love Magazine. For the latest and greatest in all things Fujifilm, X-Series, and GFX, head on over to fujilove.com. There you'll find some great articles, uh, interviews, uh, tutorials, and a whole lot of great photos. So head on over to fujilove.com. I'm Mark Sadowski. I'll see you next time.